I want to take a minute to tell you about Federal Access. Federal Access is our coaching and training platform that we develop for government contractors. The resources in Federal Access have helped our clients win over $13.6 billion in government contracts. When you become a member, you're going to get access to hundreds of documents, templates, training videos, on-demand webinars, and you get SME support from me. So if you have a question, you can email me directly anytime. Here's a special offer for Game Changers listeners. Visit federal-access.com forward slash Game Changers today and get started for just $29. That's federal-access.com forward slash Game Changers to get started for just $29. Now let's get into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. My name is Michael Lejeune, and I will be your host today on Game Changers. And we're going to be having a great discussion with our guest, Carol Lohman, today. Carol is the president and CEO of L2NL. And I want to let uh, Carol take a minute here to tell our listeners a little bit about herself and the company. Hi, Mike. Uh, Thanks so much for having me on the show. Uh, well, I had a long Army career in government contracting. I was uh, I began in services, uh, stayed in services, and um, I moved up the normal progression. I was uh, lucky enough in my career to become a member of this uh, senior uh, executive service, and I got to lead some contracting organizations, including the Mission and Installation Contracting Command in the Army Contracting Command, which awards about 60% of the Army's contract dollars. And it, my, it, during my tenure, was um, awarding about 86 to $100 billion a year. So after I retired, I started a, a small business. I'm an economically disadvantaged woman-owned small business. And we, we started out doing consulting, basically in, in government acquisition, to all size businesses. And uh, then we realized that um, maybe we should enter the government contracting side of things since we have the expertise. And so we've recently been performing subcontracts in uh, defensive cyber security, and also we've performed a a subcontract in um, leadership and mentoring and coaching. And that's my story, Mike. Wow. Well, you know, 80-something billion dollars of contract awards. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of zeros. I don't, I don't know how you wrap your head around all of that. And yet, that's only a fraction of what the government spends every year. So that's a, that's a pretty unique side of the story there on its own. And so it, it, it's really interesting today because we're going to be talking about both sides of the coin here because you've been on both and not all of our guests have actually been on the contracting side and on the small business side and I think that's really unique and and you have a very unique perspective on that so before we kind of dive into talking about some of that I I think it's interesting that you know you, you were in government you left government you started a small business what when you left the government what made you do that what made you start a small business well, it, it was a pretty easy decision, actually. I stayed in government until retirement because I appreciated the fact that a government career is a values-based career. My husband was in the military. We were a military family, and I wanted to continue to give something back and do something good for our country. And also, after retirement, I still wanted to uh, 
use the skills I had, um, but do something different. And I did want to work together with my husband and, and our partner. And larger companies tend to be quite structured, like the government I just left. So the best option seemed to me to be starting a small business. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people get out and they really, really don't know what to do. And a lot of times they just go right back in and they go in with big government or, you know, try to find another government job. I think it's really interesting that you chose to go the small business route in here. So that that's, that's very interesting to me. So what are some of the things that surprised you once you were in the small business side of things on that side of the fence? What are some of the things that surprised you about that? you know, given what you knew about government contracting? Well, you know, I think um, I was pretty well aware of a lot of the issues from the contractor perspective before I retired because as part of my job, I got to listen to it. Um, and after I retired, I, I think I became more aware of the extent of some of the issues. And uh, one example is the impact that government has on government contractors. Um, there, there seems to be an... Uh, uneven distribution of skills or quality of performance in the government acquisition community as there is almost everywhere else. And things like fairness, knowledge of the contracting process, wisdom, communication, the way things are done are just different from organization to organization. And some contracting organizations I've found are quite belligerent. Others bend over backwards to help you. Some are timely. Some don't ever, ever respond. And, and it just goes on and on. The applications and interpretations of statute and regulation aren't standardized. And all of this adds up to make it a really hard way to do business using an inherently complex process. So that was a big, not a surprise, but again, the extent to which that impacted government contractors was something of a surprise. I have also was surprised at how little contracting officers are willing to communicate. And, and that's just always been counterintuitive to me. I've always felt that the more you share, the greater the likelihood of true understanding in the meetings of the minds that is required for a meaningful contract or a meaningful debrief for, um, for that uh, reason. But, you know... That said, from the other side of it, I understand that contracting folks are afraid to share information, and I understand why they're afraid. Um, nonetheless, that's a very big flaw in an otherwise imperfect system. I was quite surprised to find that sometimes even the largest of defense contractors can't deal internally with what to me is the simplest of issues, and they go out looking for a consultant. And often it's because they just don't know how to respond to the government, and in particular, how to deal appropriately with individual contracting officers. They're afraid to make the contracting officer mad. They hesitate to use the chain of command at all, even when they know the KO is absolutely wrong in what they are doing or what they are thinking. But I think one of the biggest surprises is really how hard it is to start your own business. I'm a pretty hard worker and I'm, I'm very task oriented and that's part of the business is not a problem for me at all. The uncertainty surrounding government contracting is really great and that's very hard to deal with. Um, the lack of timeliness in RFPs, evaluations, and contract awards can be pretty devastating, even for the largest of businesses, and even more so for small businesses. 
uh, cash flow is a never-ending challenge and scrambling to make payroll because one of your clients didn't pay in a timely way is absolutely no fun at all. So one of the biggest surprises, though, is how long it takes to get established. And I've come to believe that so many small businesses go out of business or decide to throw in the towel, not because they have bad ideas or can't manage their business, but because they don't have the financial wherewithal to wait for the business to become self-sustaining and supporting. And that is, that's that's pretty hard. Yeah, you know, you hit on like half a dozen things that I, I have follow-up questions for or comments on and you know that I'll just take it from that last one there you know when we started this company our founder uh, who's my business partner Joshua Frank said hey you know I'm gonna get in this and before I do I'm gonna make sure I have a couple of years of finances that are you know it's gonna take care of my salary it's gonna take care of our family it's gonna take care of all of our basic needs because he knew because we were both on the other side you know, as it, it, we were both in the military, then we were both government contractors, then we went into small business. And so we both knew how much cash it takes and how long, you know, it can take for a contract award or whatever it may be. And, and to your point there uh, about uh, the timeliness of things, you know, there's a, a, a very big, I think it's a $5 billion IDIQ that I am actually part of right now that we are waiting on and we've been waiting on I think in I think it was last October when they mm -hmm. announced they were going to put it out they said it would be out in November uh, November came and went December came and went January came and went they and then they're like hey we're gonna have it out in February and then February came and went March came and went they finally put it out at like the end of April or something and then they were like hey we're gonna award this in June well it's in it's August right now and uh, when we're recording this particular podcast you know I'm not sure when people are listening to it but it's gonna be roughly a year since they announced they were going to put out the RFP before we think they're even going to uh, start doing any awarding of, of people on the IDIQ, then they've got to get funds released. So it may take two years before we see a dime out of that contract. Absolutely. And and we're in the same situation, about three contracts. And, you know, we've been in, in the business for four years now, and we have worked very hard to put all these, you know, opportunities, if you will, in place. And, and we're just poised and ready and just waiting is, is, is very hard. I think, uh, I think eventually we will be successful. I feel pretty comfortable about that now. But um, the waiting game is right, Mike. You, you really described, I think, one of the hardest parts of being a contractor. Yeah, and, and you know, to me, while that's hard and having the money to sustain yourself, you know, those are, those are big issues. I'm always telling people, Take that time to grow your commercial business. Take that mm -hmm. time to prospect and learn more about your potential clients. Take that time to do those things. But you know the, the the main thing that people have to understand is you need to understand the process. And if you don't understand the process, then you're going to keep getting you know flustered and frustrated and you know fill in the blank with whatever word because a lot of them don't know the process. And I think that's another big killer. If I were to say it in government contracting is a lot of times it takes three to five years to learn the process and mm -hmm. there may be a situation where the first or one or two contracts you're working on take two years for you to land any money from it so I mean imagine it takes three to five years to learn the process it takes two years for you to get any money no reason people 
you know, go out of business in the first five years, right? You know, they're struggling, you know, and, and credit cards are maxed out by the time they get their first contract. And then they still, they haven't done enough work to even understand the process yet. And that's why it's so key to learn the government process while you're going through this in your downtime and that sort of thing. So, see, I said there was a lot of things you said in that in that one question that uh, I just thought, wow, there's a lot in there. You know, the, the last one I'm going to touch on before we move on here is uh, you talked about the fear that people have <laughs> and the fear on both sides where I see contracting officers are afraid to make a mistake and then you have contractors who are totally afraid to, like you said, go through the chain of command properly, do the proper things, but they're so afraid that they're going to step on someone's toes and be totally out of the game. And it sounds like you understand the back-end process enough. Could, could you maybe, I know this wasn't something we talked about, but could you give some advice to contractors who are out there and they're struggling with a contracting officer, they're not getting anywhere, what are some, some I don't want to say political ways, but maybe that's the right word, what are some what are some good approaches that they could take where they're not going to wind up getting themselves kicked out of that command or, you know, blackballed, if you will, if we want to use that term, but they're going to move their contract forward or, or take some positive steps. Can you give some advice for, for those folks? Yeah. You know, again, I think the answer always to, to these types of problems is open communication. And I'm, I think part of the issue is the acquisition workforce is still a young workforce there. They're tired. They've been crunching it out for a lot of years uh, when, you know, in, when the military in particular was at war and, um, you know, we're doing more with less. So, you know, it's a hard environment. The oversight environment is just Awful. I mean, how many times have, have you have you seen a senator say on television, "Who got fired for this?" Well, you know, that's that registers with contracting people. Um, you know, you're written up in IG reports all the time, and so on and so forth. So, so those are some of the reasons. And then, of course, there's the protest, and, and those are some of the reasons why the contracting people are, are afraid. But I think you know, one thing that I've had some success with is to ask contracting officers. Can I have a far sight for that so that I can learn about what it is you're trying to explain to me? And I can learn how to, you know, do the next proposal better or whatever. Ask them for a farsight. And if they can't give you a farsight, well, then you have some pretty good evidence that maybe they don't know what the farsight is. It's just uh, some belief that they have that may not be correct. Um, try to engage them in their interpretation of the regulation. So you kind of try and get a, an inkling as to their, their level of thinking. But when, when they just shut down and refuse to communicate with you, I'm sorry, it's time to raise it up the chain of command. Everybody has a supervisor. And, you know, I, to be quite honest, and I think this is a function of um, my career, um, I tend to go pretty high up the chain when I have to when I have to make a call like that. I'll generally go to the head of the office um, as opposed to you know talk to ten or twenty people on the way up the chain. So and and I think it's very important to raise these issues in a in a non-threatening way. I've had numerous calls you know over the years of people just telling me y'all are crooks. You know you're trying to cheat.
me and so on and so forth. That is not a good way to start a conversation. Right. The way to start a conversation is, you know, I, I, I really am trying to understand this and I don't. Um, can you really help me? From my point of view, these are the facts. And, and it, my expectation was that this was going to happen, and it didn't. And I'd really appreciate it if you would talk to me about that. And I think that's probably the best you're going to do. Uh, I, I love that advice. And, you know, it, it's so hard for a lot of people to just be humble and ask. Because I think a lot of business owners or sales executives or whatever you want to call them that are in that situation where they need to call a contracting officer, a lot of them go in there is what I would say, you know, guns blazing. You know, like they 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 are they're ready to quote the FAR. They're ready to quote a presidential mandate or whatever. They're ready to go in there and say you have to do this or that instead of just saying, I don't understand what happened. I'd love some input. I love some you know, maybe some guidance, you know, things like that, and just humble themselves for 20 seconds on the front end of that call and then bring down those barriers by the contracting officer. So so really, really good advice there from you on that one. So, so you know, given that, you know, and in, in, in understanding all your time in the government, when you see something isn't working, you know, what is kind of your process to fix that? Because, you know, we all have things in our business that, you know, you're, you're trying to do something, it's just not working. What's kind of your process to fix that? Well, it, it continues what we were just talking about and what you mentioned earlier in the podcast, Mike. Um, I use the same process today that I did when I was in government. Open up the communication at the correct level to solve the problem in a respectful, fact-based way. And that applies to raising issues to the government, working with your prime from the position of a subcontractor, or even providing guidance and leadership to employees. And a lot of people really don't understand the importance of level and waste an awful lot of time and effort trying to deal with something at the wrong level. And that can be very costly for a contractor. Sometimes things don't get fixed at a lower level. And once things are elevated, it's just too late to fix them for a particular opportunity. Uh, I, so I love the way you said that. That that was great. Well, thanks. That brings up one thing I love about being a small business, though, um, is the ease with which you can change course to fix a problem or to change an entire strategy. Um, L2NL started out um, in acquisition support services and leadership mentoring and uh, basically consulting. Consulting is a, is is a wonderful thing to do, but it's it, it's very um, it, the cash flow is never quite smooth. So we we looked at government contracting as a way to level out our our cash flow, and um, when we looked around the battlefield of government contracting, acquisition support services, there's not a lot out there, and there are a lot of companies who do it. And leadership and mentoring, which is absolutely my first love and where I would really like to spend an awful lot of my time, is the first thing to get cut when the budget gets tight. So we looked around and we said, well, cybersecurity and IT support services are, you know, where it's at at the moment. And we decided to add that line of business to our to our business, and I think it's been a very good move for us. So, in a lot of ways, it's a matter of reading the tea leaves correctly. Um, small businesses are a lot more agile than larger businesses, and the government, and the government, and I enjoy the flexibility that I didn't have before. 
Yeah, no, that is, that is exactly right. You know, when you're in a small business, you can literally, you know, they, I hate to use all these puns, but you can literally just change course on a dime, right? I mean, you can just right. you can just change so fast. I, I remember there was a meeting that my partner and I were in, and it was a strategy meeting, and we had a bright idea about creating a new version of our product. We support the, the federal access system as a product we built, and it was going well, and things were going well, and, and it just hit us in this meeting. We got a great idea let's create version 2.0 and these are the major changes we're going to make and how we're going to do it and over the next 30 days we did that and then registrations just astronomically jumped up i mean it was crazy how fast mm -hmm. it blew up but it was literally it, it was a meeting that we had that we didn't have this even on the agenda we changed it because we saw the value of it and we changed course because we're a small business and we're able to do that and you know that's that's just the kind of thing that happens when you're a small business. You can change course, and you know I, I think it. Again, there are several things you said there that I really liked. One of the ones that stood out to me, and I, and I want to go back over this because sometimes people hear these things on a podcast and they and they don't necessarily digest it. And one of the things that you were talking about there was opening up the lines of communication at the proper level. And I think a lot of times people confuse the proper communication at the wrong level so they're, they're having communication it's open dialogue and they think they're getting somewhere but they're talking to the wrong person and so it, it's like talking to my 12 year old about our finances and our budget you, it can be an open communication but you're talking to the wrong person in the house right, right. It, it's just never going to get anywhere talking to that person you're going to have great conversations but you know having open communication at the right level i mean those are two pieces to the puzzle there that a lot of people get wrong you know and and i just i want to point that out because as little as it seems to a lot of people i know there are salespeople listening to this there are business owners listening to this that are that you've beaten your head on a wall because you're having the same conversation over and over and over again you don't know why you're not getting anywhere, and it's because you're having the conversation with the wrong person, and you need to right. find the right person. So right. I really appreciate you saying that one. That one, that was really really good. So you know, you've been in in, uh, in government for you know 20 years. How did that experience in government contracting help you to then run your small business? Well, you know, you raised it earlier, Mike. It, you've got to know the process, you know, spend your time learning the process. Well, I did know the process. But what is interesting on this side is that everybody implements it differently. And so you have to adjust to the eaches that you run across. But, but I had a certain skill set, you know, preparing solicitations, uh, developing acquisition strategies, evaluating proposals, negotiating, and so on. But that skill set is really not adequate to succeed on the flip side of this business. And um, I know now how much I have left to develop. And um, I know that when I look at a solicitation, I have to figure out solutions to the specific problems that the government has. I have to figure out the how in the proposal, not just the what. 
And my ability to do that still depends on the government's ability to describe their problem in the PWS. Um, getting to know your customer, as you recommended, also helps a great deal in that respect. I need to also understand work breakdown structures, estimating cost models. And so while all those things are familiar to me, and I certainly knew about them and how they generally work, um, they aren't really the same skills that I used every day in the government. So um, even I've been very blessed and lucky in my career and uh, had a lot of different experience. And even then, I, I still have plenty to learn. But skills that translate well, I think, from government to industry are abstract thought, strategic thought, communication skills, verbal and written, logic, and I, I think sometimes the most important of all, good people skills. Mm, yeah, no, that's, that is really, really important stuff there. And I, I think it, it's very important for people to understand not only those skills, but what are your gaps? I mean, you started telling me a lot of the gaps that you were very uh, quickly able to identify between your government you know, experience and your small business experience. And I think that's a really important thing there is being able to identify those gaps and understand here, here's what I know, here's what I don't know, here's what I need to continue working on. So I, I think those are really important factors there. So the last question I have for you, and, and I mean, it's a two-part question here. So if, if there's one thing you could do to improve the government contracting experience, what would that be? So that, that's the first part. So what what is something that you would, uh, if you could improve the government contracting experience, what would that be? And then the second part is if you could go back in time and give yourself some advice before you started your business, what would that be? Uh, okay. Um, you know, government, I'm going to harp on, I'm sure what's getting to be a theme in this podcast. Government contracting is so complex that this is a truly wicked problem um, trying to improve it. So many functions are involved, budget, personnel, management, leadership. It's hard to know where to start. But the answer lies, though, in honest and open communication. I, I just believe that. Contracting folks really can talk to industry pretty openly, just as OFPP says they can. And industry really can teach the government about things from their point of view. So I, I, I just feel that communication to Congress, to all the stakeholders, is, is the critical um, critical thing that must improve because I think personally that it's at a, a pretty low point, uh, the level of communication at this point. Boy, if I could go back in time, <laughs> go west, young Carol. Let me see. I think, I think what you need more than anything else starting a small business is faith in yourself and your abilities. And I think you said it before, you have to be humble enough to recognize where you are in the process, evaluate your performance, and then make decisions based on what's real and not what you want to be. I think that's probably, I'd make sure that I would tell myself to keep my eye on that ball. Yeah, no, that that is excellent advice and I think you know everything you've shared today has been great advice and I really hope people go through this podcast and and then listen to it again because this is one of those podcasts where 
you not only answered the questions directly, you also just dropped a lot of little nuggets of wisdom here and there. One of my favorite ones was in something you just said a minute ago where you said, this is hard. And I think there are so many people out there, you know, you have a socioeconomic status. There are a lot of people that think, oh, well, I've got a socioeconomic status or, you know, and that could be disabled veteran. It could be whatever. Or they think, hey, it's the government. I was in the government. There's so much money. This is going to be easy. And and I think that, to me, is one of the biggest mistakes people make when they start their business is they assume they've got this. It's going to be easy. They also assume once I do it one place, I can do it somewhere else. And it's just going to be easy. The floodgates are just going to open. And it's just it's a lot of work. And it's a it's a big system. Once you understand the system, you can apply it everywhere, but it's not as easy as just going getting your status or going get whatever certification and then just letting the, the money roll in. It's not that easy, and you're, I think you're one of the first guests that we've ever had on here that said that, and, and I really appreciate you saying that. So, so with that, are there any final thoughts, if you could leave our listeners with any final thoughts that you have? No, I... I, I... I would say you've been a really wonderful facilitator and host, and I really appreciate you having me uh, to talk to you today. But I, I would I would say go back and listen to some of those podcasts on your website because I have uh, recently started to do that. I sort of stumbled upon you, to be honest, and I, I found lots and lots of very, very helpful uh, podcasts. Um, and keep fighting the good fight and uh, – I think if if that's the case, you'll do you'll do fine. If not in a particular business, well in life, and really that's more important than all of it. Right, right. Well, well, thank you so much. And just so everyone knows, I did not pay Carol to say all those nice <laughs> things about me. I really appreciate not. that. Uh, I well, really, I really do. Your uh, your facilitating abilities. Uh, it, it's always been hard for me to do public speaking, and um, you made this a very comfortable uh, event, and I really appreciate it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for the compliment and all the wisdom today. I definitely want to have you back on and talk more about government contracting. And so with that, I also want to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on this episode. Remember that you can find every episode on iTunes. Just look for Game Changers for Government Contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode. And last but not least, please visit our sponsor for today's episode. We actually talked about it a little bit earlier in the episode today. It's the Federal Access Program, and you can visit that at federal-access.com forward slash join. When you visit that page today, you can actually learn how to get a free copy of the Government Sales Manual. And be sure to tune in next time for more great lessons on how you can win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash gamechangers.